if I might say so, it's been a joy and a privilege to have been with you on the journey. And it's been an immense time of uh, enriching fellowship I've had with the core team. Uh, and uh, they've really been a delight. Uh, you must have been praying for them. <laughs> but it has been, uh, has been a joy. And to think that we've come to this particular juncture and this point in the life of the church here at Kenilworth, we just give God the praise and the glory for that and pray that this might be a portent of the great things that are to come. I want to read uh, some words for you, to you from Revelation chapter 5. It may seem rather a uh, strange portion in the context of which we are meeting this evening. And it's that great occasion when the Apostle John has this vision. He's had a vision of the Creator in chapter 4. Then in chapter 5, he has this vision of the Redeemer. But it's set in the context where he's overwhelmed and he's thoroughly discouraged, in fact, demoralized. And we are told, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, Seven, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and the seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And this is the word of the Lord. Now, normally on an occasion like this, when it comes to the charge, people would generally take you to Timothy, and set out the character and the conduct of elders and deacons. And then to apply that and to urge those who had taken up the office or who were recognized in the church to fulfill that function. But if you're just going to crystallize it, you can basically say that those who we have recognized this evening are there to guard and guide the flock, the people of God. They are to feed the flock and pastor the people. That is their primary task. There might be various facets to that and various aspects that need to be applied in practical terms. But essentially, that's what they are called to this evening. But I want to just take it slightly out of that context and bring another charge. And here's the charge I would put to all of you, but particularly the leaders. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. In a sense, we're talking about D-Day. And in a sense, this is a D-Day for this church. This is a launch pad of a new era, a new point in the history, the spiritual history of the people who are gathered here. And this D-Day meant that things were going to go forward until ultimately victory was achieved. So that is the case in the church. 
But D-Day also inaugurated a struggle where there were going to be huge difficulties and sacrifices and problems and obstacles. And clearly that was the case in the Second World War. And for those who are in leadership, there has to be a recognition of of that. Yes, we're on the victory side. And ultimately, there will be a glorious victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, there will be many struggles. And one of the things that the evil one uses for those who are in leadership, in fact, for all the people of God, in order to reduce their effectiveness, in order to derail them from the task and the purpose and the function that God has given to them, is discouragement. One of the things he uses. John Stott put it in this term, this way, or these terms. He said, discouragement is the occupational hazard of those who would serve God. An occupational hazard. Because problems do come. Difficulties do arise. Hindrances do come before us. And these can be an immense discouragement. And it's the weapon in Satan's arsenal which he has used in every era and in every generation. Why does he use it in every era and in all times? Because it's been so significant and because it's been so successful in terms of the people of God. You remember Israel in the Old Testament. And here God had delivered him in a mighty way from the grasp and the grip of a superpower and brought them to the very verge of the, the promised land. And then they had this message from ten of the twelve spies. That the, the, the giants, the, we cannot overcome them. And says the heart of the people melted. Even after all that they had seen, the power that they had experienced. And yet, here they were, they were discouraged. And at that point in that juncture, they didn't enter. Think afterwards when uh, the Judah was taken into captivity and after 70 years, they came, they were coming back. And what a task under Nehemiah they had to rebuild the walls. To see uh, the, the nation established again as a, a national and a spiritual entity. And suddenly a voice comes along from those who were opposed to the work. And first of all, they, they started to speak about the, the, the workers. What can these feeble Jews do? What can they accomplish? You see what they're trying to do? They're, they're trying somehow to instill in the thought, you, you, God can't use you, nothing can be done, especially you. And I'm sure there'll be many who will voice that in terms of the work of the church here and what God has called you to. They'll be saying, look at this little group. What can they do? What can they achieve? Who are they? They have no great kudos. They've got no vast resources. What can they achieve? And then also they started to speak about the materials. How can they build something with these stones? Now Nebuchadnezzar had done a great job as far as demolishing Jerusalem. And it seems all they had were these stones that formerly many had been burnt. He would probably discard them. And of course they said, what could these? And that's why people will think, what can you do? What can you achieve? Who are you? What have you got that makes you think that you can be used or something can be done? They'll do that. And then they'll even talk about, as they did then, well, even if they do something, if a fox comes and rubs against the wall, he'll knock it over. It's as feeble as that. It's insubstantial, insignificant. That's what we're doing. And people will say that, and that's what they think about Christianity in general, and very often they'll say it about this work here in particular. Trying to discourage. Remember the Lord said, men ought to pray and not lose heart. 
And if the Lord meant it, if the Lord said it, he knew that was a reality. It is so easy in Christian work to lose hearts. Even the mighty apostle Paul, with all that God had achieved through him, and all that he had seen accomplished by the power of God, he even said, because we have these promises, the grace of God, we do not lose hearts. We do not lose heart. So that's a reality. And so that's why I bring you the charge, and particularly to the, to the elders, don't lose hearts. Don't lose hearts. Because when, when we get discouraged, in a sense, we might seek to continue with the work. And we'll even seemingly have to work harder when we're discouraged than when we're buoyant. But we will be less effective. It's rather like this. You know when you have a knife, and that knife is finely honed, and then you want to cut something, it will cut through well. It'll slice through it. But if the edge is taken off that knife, not only you'll have to try harder, and it will not be so effective, the edge is gone. And the evil one knows when we're discouraged, that spiritual edge, that fine honing which is so necessary in the work of the Lord. We mustn't lose hearts. But not only that, one of the great callings for those who are in any office or in any position, and all of us in some respects are called to serve the Lord, one of the, the prerequisites of that is, is to be faithful. Paul says, what is fundamental to being a servant? The first thing is to be faithful. I tell you, if we get discouraged, it's not only hard, it is so difficult and sometimes almost impossible to be faithful when we get discouraged. Now it's fine for me to stand up here this evening, and this wonderful evening when our hearts are rejoicing in what God has done, and, and just say, don't be discouraged. But what happens when we do get discouraged? What do we do then? What can enable us in those times to keep going and to be encouraged even in spite of the circumstances or the condition? And that's why I took you to this fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. Because here was John in this situation and he sees this book, the scrolls, which are the purposes of God. And there was no one found to open it, neither in the heavens above and the earth beneath there was just absolutely no one to open this, break the seals so that the, the, what was in, written on the scrolls could be seen. And John here was totally demoralized. He, he, he just feels utterly broken. He's weeping bitterly. That's how low he's become. What hope is there for us? And then in the midst of that, he's, he's suddenly told, Behold! The NIV says, uh, see, it's much stronger than that. Uh, behold, when I was young and uh, my mother was speaking to me, and uh, sometimes while she was speaking, I wasn't listening. And uh, I'd be looking out the window at my friends playing football. And suddenly I'd find two hands grasping the side of my head by my ears, twisting my head round and said, look here, my son. <laughs> and this is what happened to John. John! His head is being twisted round, and he spoke, Behold, what does he see? He sees the lamb of the tribe of Judah. He sees the one who was slain as a lamb that was slain. But he sees him in power, seven horns and seven eyes, full of wisdom, full of power. And he said, John, in your demoralization, in your utter discouragement, look, John, this is where you have to fix your eyes and to feast your gaze. 
This is what you're to do. And indeed, that's the message all of the book of Revelation. The first chapter. Again, we find John. And behold, he sees one who's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the one who was dead and was alive and alive forevermore, the one who died for your sins, the one who conquered death, the one who's risen for our justification, and the one who's living in the power of an endless life. Behold him. And when we're stroking at one like this, and we're serving a God like that, how can we be discouraged? Leslie Weatherhead, whose theology was abhorrent to us, but he had a godly father. And his father had never heard Handel's Messiah. Never heard Handel's Messiah. So Leslie Weatherhead took him along to hear it. And then they're going through, and his father was just absolutely enraptured. And then it came to worthy is the lamb that was slain. And then finally to that great hallelujah chorus. No one people stand up. And Leslie Weatherhead was aware that his father was saying something. And he looked around and there's tears in his father's eyes. And he said, that's my Lord. That's my master. And dear brothers who have been called to this ministry, when we are serving one like that, how can we be discouraged? How can we be discouraged? Um, Prince Charles, whatever you think of Prince Charles, he has a wonderful motto as the Prince of Wales. Igdeen. Those who are German, I serve. Dear friends, dear brothers, you don't just say I serve. We serve Christ. We serve the Lord Christ. Isn't that a privilege? Isn't that an honour? David Livingstone said, People, when they get a commission from a king, feel honoured. To have a commission from the king of kings is the highest privilege and the greatest honour. That's why, be encouraged. That's the one whom you serve. And then very quickly, and John takes up and he sees these people around the throne. He talks about when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, I believe. They are representative of the church in the Old and the New Testament, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The same theme is taken up in chapter 8. And there it extends the truth a little bit further. It talks about the incense or the prayers rising as smoke or incense into the very presence of God. I'm sure at times you'll feel weak. And at times you might feel like giving up. But just remember what you can pray. Look at this picture. Here are the prayers of the saints. The weakest saints. The lowest saints. The discouraged saints. And there they are in golden bowls. There anything associated with gold in the scriptures as in life is precious. A wedding ring is a golden ring normally. Some great building being opened, they wear a pair, or they have a pair of golden scissors. Because it's something very significant. And here are your prayers. And they're in the golden bowls. You might think they're of little value. Others might deride our prayers. Any of these things. But look what God thinks of them. They're in golden bowls. Can we be discouraged when we can pray like that? That our prayers ascend 
into the very presence of God himself. No, we don't need to be discouraged because of the one whom we serve. And we shouldn't be discouraged because of the prayers that we can offer, whatever the situation. And then thirdly, we are taken to this wonderful picture. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain, and by your blood you were ransomed. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign in the earth. Dear brothers, this is the program in which you are participating. Oh yes, we're serving in a relatively small church at the moment. But that is part of this. That great company from every nation, every tongue, every ethnic group. They're worshipping before the throne and bringing praise to God. You see, so often, and quite rightly when we're looking, thinking about the practicalities, we're just doing that and that and the other. But this is all part of this greater picture, this larger program, this glorious thing that God is doing. And you're a part of it. The three men who are working were all stonemasons. All three were stonemasons. And someone came to the first one and said, what are you doing? He said, well, isn't it obvious? I'm cutting stones. And of course he was, large stones. And he went to the second person. He said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a wall. Well, of course he was. He was cutting stones to build a wall. And he went to the third person and he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm erecting a cathedral. All doing the same task. But they had a different appreciation. A different perspective. A different perception. And sometimes we can think, well... And we mustn't have grandiose thoughts about ourselves. But we should have great thoughts about God's work. And dear brothers, have been called to this ministry. This is what you're called to, to be part of this program. That great company, which no man can number. From every land, ethnic group, every tongue and every nation. And you and your service... Serving here are part of that. Chosen, called, and faithful, says the hymn writer. He says, in this service royal, let us not grow cold. Let us be right loyal, noble, true, and bold. Well, I'm sure you have days when you'll be discouraged. But I want you to just think, who you're serving, this wonderful Saviour, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, it's him you're serving. Just think of the prayers you can offer, even in those moments of discouragement, that they're right in the presence of Almighty God, in those golden bowls, that of Roma. Like sometimes we think we don't achieve much on earth. I wonder do we realize our prayers have fragrance in heaven? They have. Because they're offered in the name of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And because of that, the Father relished them.
We can pray prayers. And we are part of this wonderful program. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged.